Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be looking in a number of places tonight. But in Hebrews chapter 11, we come through a very familiar passage. It's speaking of Enoch or Enoch. I've heard both ways to pronounce and you call them what you want. But we all know it's Enoch. And in chapter number 11, verses 5 and 6, this is what the Bible says about Enoch. It says, by faith. Remember, we're now in the faith chapter, and we're going to see that quite a bit. By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. And we see it uh, quite often. And when you see something repetitive in scriptures, that means you need to pay even closer attention to it. Okay, so by faith, by faith. By faith, Enoch was translated, and he was not seen, and he was not found, because God translated him. So Enoch just went up. <laughs> we know that usually we, when we talk about Enoch, we think about the picture of the rapture, and rightfully so. But notice why he was translated, because it goes on and says that he was translated, he was not found for God, translated him, and he goes on. He says, here's the reason why. Because of his testimony, he pleased God. Because of Enoch's testimony, that was pleasing to God. Let me ask you this tonight. Is your testimony pleasing to God? What is your testimony? What do people know you by? When your name comes up in conversation, what kind of pictures are, are being framed in other people's minds? I hope it would be one that he pleased God. She pleased God. And so he pleased God. Then he goes on and says, Without faith, it's impossible. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So the only way to please the Lord is by your faith, enacted upon your faith. We talked about that this morning. And he goes on, he says, For he, for he that has come to God must believe that he is the rewarder of those who diligently, I mean with effort, intentionally, I mean with everything they have, uh, that he will uh, come and pleases him for those who come after him and to seek him. That is a definition of faith. Faith is that your passion is that you want to seek Him. You want to pursue God. You're, you're wanting to get on in everything that He has in store. As I made mention, Enoch uh, is usually uh, known for uh, being a picture of the rapture. But did you also know that Enoch also prophesied? If you have your Bibles, just go ahead and turn over to Jude. Chapter 1. Some of you got it. <laughs> Some of you are looking, well, where's that chapter 2 at? <laughs> Just one chapter. In Jude chapter 1, look at verse 14. And it says, In Enoch also uh, the seventh from Adam prophesied of these saying. Now catch this. This is Enoch. He's prophesying. 
Okay? Here's what he's prophesying. Behold, the Lord cometh with 10,000 of his saints. Uh, that sounds like something out of the book of Revelation. The Lord is going to be coming back with his saints. That's the reason why that we understand and we believe the Bible says that there's going to be a rapture. The church is going to be pulled out and then we're going to come back and we're going to come back with riding our horses. And so here Enoch is prophesying. He says, now the Lord is going to come. The Lord's going to come. He's going to come with 10,000 of his saints. And then look at verse 15. What's he going to do? He's going to execute judgment upon all. Nobody's going to get away with it. Now, we live in a society today, do we not? There's a good chance that if you go before a judge today, you can get away with it. Oh, there's coming a day when you stand before King Jesus, who is the judge, the just God, you will not be getting away with it. And so he goes and he says, the judgment upon all. And to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed. And of all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. Enoch, he pleased God. Matter of fact, there's three times that it talks about uh, or gives a, a, a reference to in, in the Bible of Enoch. Uh, one of the times is here in verse number 5 where it says, He pleased God. Now, why did he please God? Because of his testimony. What was his testimony? He preached. He preached judgment. He preached that if you're not right with the Lord, you will suffer the consequences. Judgment is going to come. But notice that he was prophesying. He says they're out there and they're mocking his name now. Uh, they're ridiculing those of us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they're, gonna, hey, they're having their heyday now, but there's coming a day when their heyday is going to cease. And, and so he, you know, please God, but also, and here's where we're going to camp out tonight. We see there's twice, uh, two times, we find that in the book of Genesis, where when it's talking about Enoch, it says he walked with God. He walked with God. Now, that's the reason why I have this walking stick. Because we're going to take a little walk with Jesus tonight. Enoch is going to be our example Enoch pleased God. We also know in Genesis chapter 5 uh, that uh, at the age of 65, uh, he uh, begat uh, Methuselah. We all know of Methuselah and we know that he lived 969 years. Now some of you uh, people have referred to as Methuselah and said, you're old as Methuselah. Now I don't know if there's anybody here that's 969 years. Some of you are getting close, but some uh, better yet say, some of you feel like you're 969. <laughs> In the morning, I'm going to feel like I'm about 850 years old. I mean, you know, my bones are cracking and all that. 
But he, and it says that at the age of 65 is when he had Methuselah. And then it goes on and tells us in verse number 24 that he walked with God 300 years. So here's the picture. Oh, Enoch is just walking with God. For 300 years, he was walking with God. And the Bible says that he pleased God. He pleased God because of his testimony. He was not ashamed to preach judgment. He was not ashamed to preach about ungodliness. Oh, how we need that in our land today. How we need that in our churches today. Now, I have not made any reference to the Super Bowl, but there are a number of churches that either have altered their schedules or went ahead and did without their services to have a Super Bowl party. I'm telling you, that's not walking with God. Walking with God is bringing glory to Him. And you can go ahead and you can package it any way you want to. And I don't want to be critical, but I guess I am. But you can, you can dress it up. You can say whatever you want to. But you do not bring glory into a holy, righteous God when you're throwing a, birth, a birthday party, throwing a Super Bowl party, and you kind of mix God in with that. See, here's the purpose. People say, well, you know, we're doing it for fellowship. Well, you can have the fellowship after the service if you're really interested in fellowship. Oh, it'll get lost people to come in. It might do that, but I just really doubt you're not going to have too many salvation experiences because they're not coming to praise God. They're not coming to honor God. They're coming to a football game. Enoch pleased God and he walked with God. For 300 years. Now, may I remind you that the time of Enoch, we find that in Genesis, where the Bible tells us that when Enoch was walking with God, things were not all that great. The Bible tells us in Genesis chapter 6, verse number 5, there was all kinds of wickedness. And it says it was evil in man's heart and it was on a continual basis. See, sometimes we uh, think that, oh yeah, if we lived back in that, we could really live for God if we lived back in those times because those times were a little bit easier. My dear friend, those times were not easier. There was wickedness that abounded. Matter of fact, in the days of Noah, wickedness got so bad that he went ahead and he says, I'm going to go ahead and destroy the world by a flood. Don't be go and don't buy into that that things were a little easier. Things were just as tough back then. Sin was just as wicked as it is today. And don't tell me that you cannot walk a faithful walk because of your surroundings, because we're swimming upstream. We make all kinds of excuses not to be faithful to preaching the Word. We all make all kinds of excuses where we're living in a different time and age. I understand all that, but sin is still sin, and the gospel is still the gospel, and God's still holy as He was holy back then. And so, He walked. Now, we know a lot about a person's walk. In Amos chapter 3, verse number 3, it says, How can two walk together 
unless they agree. So first thing that we need to understand is we're taking a little walk with the Lord tonight is that first of all, we have to have an agreement. If God's going to walk with us, he's not having to agree with us, but we have to agree with him. We've already talked about that. This is not about your will. It's not about your agenda. It's not about your opinion. It's about his plan, his agenda. It's about his kingdom and it's about his will. And so we have to agree with God and do what God has told us to do. And so if we're going to walk with God, we have to have an agreement with the Lord Jesus. Now understand, to have an agreement, we first and foremost have to know him in a personal way. How do we do that? Well, we're very clear on this, and the Bible is quite clear is to have a personal relationship with a living God, you have to recognize the fact that you're a lost and dying sinner. You have to realize that if you were to die in your sins, that you'll go to a place called hell and you'll spend all eternity. But we also understand that you have to recognize the fact that Jesus died upon the cross for your sin. He paid your penalty. Not only did he die, but he also bled. His precious blood, his pure blood, his sinless blood. You have to be able to recognize the fact that you believe that he died for you, but not only believe that he died for you, but you have to believe that his blood has covered you and not only covered you, but he has removed your sin from you. You have to recognize the fact that on the th third day he arose in victory and because of the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, we have that promise as well, do we not? That one day we're going to have a resurrection of our body. And we also have to recognize the fact today, if we're going to have a walk with Jesus, that we recognize that he is sitting there at the right hand of the Father. And we have to recognize the fact that not only is he sitting at the right hand of the Father, but I believe with all my heart that he's fixing to get up from that uh, throne and he's fixing to come and call his bride home. So we have an agreement here. I agree with what God says. God says I'm a sinner. I agree with that. But I also believe uh, that he said that if I repent of my sin, confess my sins, he will be faithful and just to forgive me from my sins. We looked at it this morning, 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9, is that if you confess your sins, he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. And so we have an agreement. I agree with what God says about me, but I also agree about what God can do for me. He can save me. And he can change my life and he can change my life forevermore. And so we have an agreement that God can do what he wants to do. So as we start our walk, the first thing that we see is that we must walk in love. We find that in Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 2. We must walk in love. What does it mean to walk in love? Well, I'm glad you asked. Y'all are asking such wonderful questions. Y'all are doing a good job tonight. We see in 2 John chapter 6 that we, if we're walking in love, it's because we are listening and following His commandments. See, how do we know we're walking in love? When we're following His commandments. When we're doing what He's told us to do. 
And then he goes on as we're walking, we're walking in his commandments. Because we're walking in his commandments, we're walking in the greatest commandment. Jesus said it this way, this is the greatest commandment that you love one another. We've talked about that quite a bit. And it's a shame that we have to talk about love quite a bit in the church setting. This is a place where we shouldn't have to talk a whole lot about love. We ought to just go ahead and exhibit it in our lives and the way we treat one another. And so the lost and dying world will look at us and say, you know what? I don't know all they're doing over there. Don't quite understand. But one thing I know about them, they love one another. And then they're able to say, why are you ever so happy? Why do y'all get along together? It's because we're walking in love. Well, why do you walk in love? Because we know the one who first loved us. And because he first loved us. Does, we're able to love one another. And so we're walking in love. Enoch walked in love. He loved being with the Lord Jesus. Can you imagine the conversations they'd have along their journey? I mean, I, it just blows my mind to think how, what the conversation was about. But he loved being with his Jesus so the question for you tonight is, if you're having a little walk with Jesus, do you really love walking with Him? Oh yes, I love walking with Him. But if you love walking with Him, then you should have no problems walking with me. And I should have no problems walking with you. So we're walking in love. But it doesn't stop there. We also see that we're also walking in light. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 8, the Bible tells us uh, that we are to walk in light. Now, how do we walk in light? Well, we walk in light because the light is in us. Jesus said it this way. He says, I am the light of the world. He also says that uh, you should not be hiding your light under a bushel basket. The whole world ought to see the light of Jesus and the way you operate and the way you walk. So we're walking in love. We're walking in light. But we also understand that we're walking in wisdom. Ephesians chapter 5 verse number 15 tells us that we are to walk in wisdom. Now, how do we get wisdom? Well, we know that you go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs talks quite a bit about wisdom. We also go to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes, Solomon talks quite a bit about wisdom. Matter of fact, he gives a contrast all the way through that book between wisdom and foolishness. We looked at it this morning in our class. And, and we saw where uh, Solomon, uh, he, he's uh, in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is, he's thinking out loud. A lot of people say, well, I don't like Saul, the, uh, the Ecclesiastes because it just seems kind of, kind of down and, you know, you get kind of dragged out because all's vanity, all's vanity. Doesn't matter what you do, it all winds up, you know, uh, all is vain, all is vain. But if you will read through the rest of the book, you'll see that he's just asking some questions that every one of us has asked. God, I don't quite understand why you've done things this way. Lord, I look around and it seems like everybody is on the take. Lord, it looks like everywhere I go, everybody's looking for their self-interest. Now, I understand we do live in a society like that, 
But I also want to remind you, as I've had to be reminded, not everybody is in it for themselves. A believer in the Lord Jesus Christ is not in it for themselves. That's what separates us from a lost and dying world. That's the reason why the lost world is kind of confused because we've allowed that same way of thinking and living to creep into the church. We no longer want to be separated. We want to blend in. We're being told now uh, that to be able to reach a lost and dying world, you need to act and identify with a lost and dying world. That's where the confusion sets in. The lost world looks at us and says, there's no difference between us and the ones that I'm hanging out with on Saturday night. There should be a distinct separation. There should be no questions asked of who we're walking with. Now, I'm not want to get legalistic on you, but I'm telling you, we have blended in, we've allowed that world thinking to come into the church, and now the church looks like a mirror of society. And we're trying to identify with the world that we say we want to reach, and so the lost world's looking at us, and they're looking, and they're seeking, and they're wanting something different, but they can't find any difference because we're so busy to try to identify with them. Wouldn't it be a wonderful thing if we just go ahead and settle it tonight that we don't want to identify with the lost world even though we want to reach the lost world but we want to identify with the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what separates us. And so he gives us wisdom. We looked at, we, 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 we see the destructive words and we see it in James as well. It's amazing to me and I've told the class this morning, I'll go ahead and if you're in my class, just pretend like you, this is the first time you've heard this, okay? That our speech can be destructive at times. We'll, can, we'll blast somebody in a heartbeat. I mean, we'll rip into them. But the Bible tells us that when you use destructive words, you, not me saying this, Bible says you're foolish. Why is that foolish? Because Jesus showed us how to use the right words at the right time. We, here, I've done it. I'm, I've been guilty of it. But we already made up our mind. We have a disagreement with somebody. And here's what we'll say. You wait till I see them. I'm going to rip into them. I'm going to nail their hide to the wall. Sure enough, here they come. And we have both barrels blazing. We're ripping into them. We're spitting. No, I mean, we're just ripping into them. What has that accomplished? Because once you say what you said, you cannot take it back. Why does the book of James spend quite a bit of time talking about the tongue? Why does Ecclesiastes have a pretty good section uh, in 
that book talking about the tongue. Why does Proverbs talk quite a bit about the use of the tongue? I believe, and I think you would agree with me, is that because the Lord knew that was going to be our number one enemy, our tongue. That's pretty true. It's pretty true. We have harmed more people with the use of our tongue. We have devastated more people with the use of our tongue. We have bridged a gap between people because of the use of our tongue. Jesus says, when you speak, you need to speak truth. I'm not saying there's a time for rebuke. Jesus rebuked when it needed to be. What I'm saying is, here, if we're going to be walking in wisdom, we need to know how to use this little member here. How do we do that? I found a scripture. Hadn't seen it before, but it spoke to me, and I'm claiming that. It's in Isaiah chapter 50, verse number 4. And in Isaiah 50, verse number 4, it says this, paraphrasing from memory, which is always an issue. It says that he wants to be able to speak as a learned man. Now, what is he talking about learning? Is he talking about academia? No, he's talking about, I want to be able to be learned how to use my tongue wisely. Then he goes on in in that chapter, that verse. He goes on and talks about uh, because, now watch this, because as you're on your journey, as we're walking with the Lord, he says, I want to be able to learn and have wisdom over the use of my tongue. Why? Because during my journey, I'm going to come across someone who's weary. You're going tomorrow, come into contact. You might not even know, but you're going to walk by. You're going to walk into the midst of someone who's weary. Now, you can go ahead and say, well, because they're weary is because of their own undoing. I understand that. I have no problems with that. But that still gives you a right to go ahead and blast them out of the water. What about using some words of encouragement, not condoning their sin. I'm not saying that at all. What I'm saying is it could be that they just need a little word of encouragement. They just say, you know, brother, I I understand that you're going down and and you don't have to bring up the fact. And I know the reason why you're weary is because of your sinfulness. But you know what? I used to be weary. I used to be downtrodden. I used to be in despair. I used to be very uh, negative in my spirit. But I want you to know, could I just share with you just just a brief moment? I want you to know how I was able to get over that. And then you can tell them it's because what Jesus Christ has done in my heart and has changed my life. And now... I'm looking for ways to bring encouragement because at one time I was encouraged as we're walking. But then Isaiah 54 goes on and says this, and when I wake up, I want to be able to listen. If you're looking at the text, you'll see it. 
He says, I want, to be, uh, I want to be learned in my speech. Lord, would you teach me to use my tongue wisely? But he says, here's how you learn to use your tongue wisely, by listening to what God tells you. We're walking. There's somebody I'm going to meet on my journey that I need to take the time and say, I don't need to pride into your business, but it just seems like you're having a bad day today. Yeah, I'm having a pretty bad rotten day. Well, I'm sorry to hear that, but you know, we all have bad days. But I want to tell you what helps me when I have a bad day. I said, well, what helps you? Oh, I just have a little talk with my Jesus. And after I have a little talk with Jesus, it just seems like my day's getting a little better. Do you see where we're talking? Do you understand what we're, we're walking? And we're walking not only in wisdom, but notice we also are walking in truth. The Bible tells us that we're to walk in truth. See, when you're walking in truth, you don't have to remember what you said yesterday. See, if you're not speaking truth, you have to have a real good memory. My memory is not that great. But when I speak truth, I don't have to worry about what I said yesterday because truth is always truth and will always be truth. You don't have to change truth. And so as you're walking, you're walking in love, you're walking in the light, you're walking in wisdom, you're walking in truth. Now, what are the benefits? Well, you go to Galatians chapter 5. We're closing with this. You're looking in Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 23. We all know it is the fruit of the Spirit. And he starts listing things of what the fruits of the Spirit are, and love, peace, uh, joy, and he goes on and on. And so as we're walking uh, with God, we're walking in love, we're walking in the light, we're walking in truth, we're walking in wisdom, we're going to be able to also be walking in the Spirit. How do we know that we're walking in the Spirit? Because what's in here is eventually going to come out here. And as people see us walking, they're going to recognize us by our walk. Oh, with my eyesight issue, and I probably have told you this before, I don't you know, see your faces. And, and uh, for that, I'm grateful for... I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Sort of. Uh, no. So I, I can't make your face out. I have to really get up close. Miss Carolyn, she loves for me to get up real close to her because she loves me so much. And, and it's a little joke between the two of us. But you know how I can put you out from a crowd if you happen to walk down that aisle by the way you walk? I can tell by the way you walk who you are. The lost and dying world will know us by how we walk. They're going to recognize when we speak, oh, something different about him. When you have a conversation with someone, you don't use a curse word, every other word. When you have a gentleness about you. When, when they, and, and listen, lost people can sense something different. They can sense it. 
That's the reason why no matter where you go, uh, if you didn't know the person, you come and I've been uh, uh, fortunate to be in uh, other parts of the world, but I haven't met these people, can't speak their language. But after having some contact with them just a while, I feel there's a kindred spirit. And the Bible is quite clear that our spirit will bear witness to their spirit. A lost person will not bear witness with us because they don't have the same spirit we have but they sure can recognize something's different about you, about how you walk. So the question for us to answer tonight is, how's your walk? I know I'm using this walking stick and some of you have to use a stick. Some of you have to use other things that kind of help you because you have limitations. But as we're walking, we need to be walking with God. And if we're walking with God, people are going to notice. Could it be that they haven't been able to to distinguish our walk from the walk of someone who does not know Christ? We say the same things. We act the same way. We go to the same places. We go ahead and justify all you want to. What bothers me is that we've come now to where we're talking about a certain TV show and they'll say things like, well, the language wasn't that bad. Well, why are you even watching it? Oh, they just cussed a couple times. And we're giving it a pass. Something wrong with that picture. Something wrong with that picture. We're supposed to be walking in light. We're, we're, we're not in darkness anymore. But yet, we're watching the same stuff that they're watching. So the question for us tonight is, how is my walk? Am I really walking with God? Can people recognize that I'm walking with God? Do I really have to tell them I'm a believer? Yes, you should tell them that you're a believer. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is, is that the only way they recognize you is because you say you are? But they haven't figured that out because of your walk? God help us. We're a peculiar people. We've been set apart. We are holy and blameless before a holy God. And the only way we're blameless and holy is because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ that's made us whole, has made us blameless. But I'm telling you, the lost world has not seen the difference. And so no reason why they're confused. What about your walk tonight? Something you need to change about it? 